Sarasar. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. The Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for 80 years, one of the centerpieces of Lincoln scholarship in the United States, closing in June 2008. We'll talk about the fate of the Lincoln Museum when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. You're listening to World Talk Radio, Studio A. Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with you today about the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, opened uh, 1928 by the Lincoln National Life Insurance Company, expanded and modified over time, its latest version uh, opening in 1995, and slated to close at the end of this month, June 2008. When we left off, we were talking about the building of the current incarnation of the museum, the one in which I was uh, privileged to be involved. The, uh, the process of building a museum is, is really uh, uh, like nothing else one does as a historian. The, uh, it, it's a collaborative work. Most historians work alone uh, in the archives, finding the material, interpreting it, writing it, uh, maybe working with an editor at some point, but it's basically solitary work. The museum is not. Uh, there are the exhibit designers who know how to put something up that uh, the public will look at. There are the writers who help take the ideas of, of someone uh, like myself and compress them into enough words that they can actually fit on a label. There are the architects who build the space the museum fits in. There are the preparators who build the exhibits, uh, the educators who program uh, the, the exhibits and the visits of the students. Uh, then uh, beyond that, once the thing is running, you've got the volunteers, the fundraisers, the uh, marketers, the, the uh, uh, just on and on, the, the, the office staff. It is clearly a collaborative uh, enterprise. Um, I've left out uh, the curators, the, the, the uh, archivists, the people you think of when you think of who works in a museum. Well, it's the curator, the person who goes around with a little feather duster and dusts everything once a day. Uh, what else is there to do in a museum? I've, I've thought that when I went uh, initially to the museum. What is there to do in a museum? And it turns out there is more than enough to keep uh, the staff busy all the time at pretty much any museum. Well, certainly there is when you're building a new one. And the experience of building uh, the main exhibit of the Lincoln Museum was, uh, for me, the most fulfilling and stimulating professional experience I think uh, I, I have ever had and probably ever will have. For 18 months, it was all we thought about, uh, night and day, um, 
what story of the infinite number of Lincoln stories were we going to tell? Why would we choose that story? What would we say about Lincoln? Uh, the, uh, the the book I've written entitled uh, Did Lincoln Own Slaves and Other Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham Lincoln very much grew out of this experience, which uh, as, a, as an exhibit began with questions. What do we want to say about Lincoln? Which is this to be about Lincoln the rags to riches story, Lincoln the, the honest man, uh, Lincoln the family man, Lincoln the president, Lincoln the commander-in-chief, uh, Lincoln the, the icon, Lincoln the emancipator, uh, there, there are so many different Lincolns, uh, some of which could not be ignored, some of which uh, shouldn't have been ignored, some of which uh, had to be ignored in order to fit into an 8,000-square-foot exhibit uh, what we wanted to say. It was a truly uh, a fascinating experience uh, collaborating with the other people, particularly the exhibit design from Formations, Inc., from uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, Craig Kerger and Alice Parman were just uh, wonderful professionals to work with and uh, taught me a great deal about public history and how to present uh, complex historical ideas to a broad range of, of public views and make them uh, comprehensible and hopefully comprehensible and interesting uh, to all kinds of visitors. And that's, that's what we tried to do there. The exhibit ended up with the title Abraham Lincoln and the American Experiment, and it argues, uh, as I argue in the book, Did Lincoln Own Slaves?, that uh, Lincoln's emancipation of the slaves and his work to preserve the Union were two sides of the same coin, that neither could have been accomplished fully without the other, uh, that neither by itself would have been nearly as meritorious uh, a project or as successful a project as both were together, that together they were far more than the sum of their parts. And we tried to tell those two stories. I was very satisfied, I have to say, when, when the exhibit was completed. I thought we did a good job. Uh, there were things I would have done differently uh, as the years have gone by. In particular, we said very little in the exhibit about Lincoln's religion, which in 1995 was not the subject of many particularly good books. There were some, Wolf's The Almost Chosen People comes to mind. Uh, but in the late 90s, Alan Gelzo began uh, and wrote Redeemer President, and since then, numerous other books by people like uh, Lucas Morrell have come out that have looked, uh, or Stuart Winger is another, uh, that have looked in detail at Lincoln's religious views, uh, his, his philosophy, both political and religious, uh, and given them uh, serious attention. And uh, one could not build the same exhibit today without uh, paying some serious attention to what Lincoln thought uh, of religion, of uh, providence. It would, it would just not be an acceptable museum without it. But things were different in 1995, uh, and you can't include everything. We included what we could, all we could. We hoped we had everything. We were able to add to the museum. Uh, one of the great things of working in a place like that is the opportunity to work with artifacts, with the actual pieces of history that you can't otherwise, uh, you can't uh, project in a movie screen, you can't see in the pages of a book. Uh, you, you can't, from any of these other media, get the same feeling, the associative value of being in the room 
uh, or holding in your hand an object that Lincoln held in his hand. Uh, if if I were to be asked what would be what's the most valuable and most important object, the most meaningful object would be a better question uh, in the museum. I would say without hesitation, it would be the inkwell from which Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. The inkwell uh, was something we were able to obtain with a generous uh, contribution from the Lincoln National Corporation. We heard about it, I can't even remember how we heard about it through, through the grapevine, that, that this was about to be put on the market by a private owner. Uh, we did research to see if that owner was likely to be the, the owner of the real object, what the provenance was. We found a direct chain of possession back to Abraham Lincoln. We were very confident the inkwell was authentic. We were unable to find visual evidence completely uh, locking down that this was uh, exactly the same inkwell, but it was certainly the right date, uh, the right style, and it did come from a family uh, that had known Lincoln, uh, for the family of Alexander Stevenson, the tutor of uh, Tad Lincoln. Uh, who had worked in the White House at that time. So we were confident this was it, and we were uh, gearing up to, to use this, this generous gift we had been given to buy a single big item for the opening. Uh, when we also heard that there was a carriage uh, that was reputedly used in Lincoln's funeral, or that he rode to Ford's Theater, I don't recall which now. Uh, and one night at a banquet, we attended many, many, many banquets before the museum opened where fundraisers and community people would be entertained in the unfinished shell of the museum lobby to build support and interest. This is very appropriate. It's part of what you do, but uh, the museum staff uh, lived on finger food and hors d'oeuvres and uh, chicken uh, the, the banquet rubber chicken for, for weeks as we waited for the museum to open. And at one of these, uh, we were approached by uh, the boss's boss, uh, the woman who didn't like us. And she came over to the table. The staff was, were all seated at a separate table in the, the staff ghetto in the corner of the lobby. And uh, we were told, well, we've heard that uh, there's discussion of this angle, but we, we also heard there's a carriage. And at our table, we voted you should get the carriage. Well, there it was, once again, the, the thing we'd hoped to avoid, uh, having people from the insurance business running the museum, uh, which they would do as successfully as we would have done running the insurance company. We did the research on the carriage. We we've had pictures of it. We compared it to photographs of every carriage used in every one of Lincoln's funerals uh, held across the country. None of them matched. The provenance of the carriage was non-existent. Uh, it had a placard on it by its current owner saying used in Lincoln's funeral. That was the only claim we could find. There were no, no contemporary evidence, no visual evidence, no nothing. We filled a thick folder with uh, these photographs and other pieces of evidence, brought it back uh, to the powers that be and said, look, we don't think the carriage is authentic, uh, or at least we're not willing to spend the money you're giving us on something that would be a gamble, whereas we're, we're quite certain about the inkwell. Well, that's what we were hired to do. We had done our jobs. We had the information. Uh, we couldn't, uh, the, the person in charge couldn't tell us otherwise, uh, and with ill grace, we said, fine, get the inkwell. 
so we had won again, but uh, but boy, she didn't like us after that either. It was worth it, though. We got the inkwell, and it was a magnificent acquisition, uh, made of glass with a metal frame underneath that holds it up. Uh, it was it, it is indescribable to have. Uh, not in one's hand, because I didn't handle it. Uh, I may have moved it while wearing white gloves. Uh, but to have uh, within one's grasp this this simple piece of office, uh, the simple office accessory from which the ink had been dipped to sign the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, the pen Lincoln used that day was given to Charles Sumner, appropriately enough, uh, but the inkwell uh, to his son's tutor and eventually to, to us at the Lincoln Museum, there it was. Four million people set free at the stroke of a pen. And uh, uh, don't, don't even begin the argument that didn't actually set anyone free. Read, did Lincoln own slaves? Chapter 9, and you'll see, yes, of course it did. Um, emancipation brought to millions of people uh, using this humble instrument, this physical tool. There's nothing quite like it for, for, for connecting to the past. And this is true of other artifacts in the museum. Well, time went on. Uh, the staff was downsized bit by bit over the years. Uh, in due time, I uh, chose to leave the museum in 2003 and come here to East Carolina University, where I've greatly enjoyed teaching history and continue to greatly enjoy teaching public history and American history to students, uh, working with my, my uh, uh, colleagues, whom I esteem very highly. The museum, however, uh, ran into harder times. The Lincoln National Company left Fort Wayne, or rather its corporate headquarters did, moved to Philadelphia, and with it, all the movers and shakers who controlled uh, the city's cultural life uh, and who cared deeply about the museum. Ian Rowland, the CEO of Lincoln National at the time, deeply uh, loved and cared for the museum and made it what it was. Uh, but he retired. His successor moved the headquarters out of Fort Wayne to Philadelphia. Uh, the company was able to spare, I don't know, $200 million to have the Philadelphia Eagles football stadium named after them, Lincoln Financial Field. But they cannot spare the $1 million at most per year it would take to keep the museum open. And as fewer and fewer people who remembered the museum, uh, or who remembered Fort Wayne, for that matter, worked at Lincoln's headquarters in, in Philadelphia, more and more of them in that distant city said, why are we running a history museum again? And who is this Lincoln guy? Uh, Philadelphia is Ben Franklin's city. Uh, Lincoln doesn't cut as much ice there. And at some point, I, I don't know the details, I haven't been an insider for five years, but at some point the decision was made uh, that the museum would not continue to be run by Lincoln Financial. They are at present looking for other institutions to take the collection, Shades of 1992. We don't know where it will end up or how, but with the staff separated, the people who answer your questions gone, the people who write Lincoln lore gone, uh, people who collect and care for the collection gone, it will never be the same, even if the collection itself moves intact, say, to Washington or Springfield or Indianapolis or some other location. So it is with great 
sadness, and I conclude the story of the Lincoln Museum. Sadness and some anger at the uh, people at Lincoln Financial who uh, have failed to keep faith with the legacy that was, was handed to them. But the Lincoln story is bigger than, than any of, of those people, certainly uh, bigger than you and I, and uh, will continue to be told in one way or another, just uh, without the help of this uh, very wonderful museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you're hearing this and it's not June 30 yet, uh, you've still got a chance to see it, and I hope you'll do that. Thanks for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Listening to World Talk Radio, Studio A.